The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, today we are concluding this uh, series of sermons and talks and services that have focused on the stories leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection and then what happened next. That we, for the whole season of Lent, since February, which is easy to remember because it actually feels like February out there today, um, we've been talking about these gospel stories of what happened leading up to um, the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus and uh, we had a Good Friday service and, of course, an Easter Sunday service where we celebrated the resurrection. And in these past two weeks, last week and today, we are talking about the, the events that happened next, after the resurrection. And Jesus makes two very interesting appearances to his disciples after the resurrection. And so today is the second of those appearances. And um, before we get into that, I just want to mention to you now, Avila... Can, I don't remember if I put the Lenten fast number in there. Did I do that? Okay, good. Thank you. This is how my brain works. I don't remember. I want to give you one last update on this. The special fast that we did during Lent, um, a lot of you participated in this. We changed the way we ate, and we saved money as a result, and we donated that money toward Artisan's local social justice initiative, and it's going to be used to help uh, underprivileged and people below the poverty line in Rochester find uh, ways to make their food dollar stretch more and more nutritionally. And the number has just gone up and up and up. And a couple weeks ago, I told you that we were at like 1,100, and I hoped maybe we could get to 1,500. And then last week, I told you we, we had broken over 2,000. Um, and then we had that last week was the last day of collecting money for that. And I'm really, really excited and proud to tell you that the number, the final number that we're going to use for this initiative is 3,000. 398.87. Yeah, so we can clap for that. <laughs> Last, la- yeah, right, three exclamation points. And if you know me, I do not do that. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a maybe one exclamation point kind of guy. Um, usually just a period. But last year we did a Lenten fast where we raised money for clean water initiatives. And I, we were thrilled that we raised about $2,500 for that. And we blew that, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, we blew that out of the water. Um, so great job, Artisan. Really, really great job. Very proud to be part of a group of people that can do something like that, especially a group this size, which is not a really big church to be donating that kind of money. So excellent work. Okay, let's get into today's gospel story. And as is our custom, especially during this time of year, I'd like to ask you to stand together for the reading of the gospel. It's from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why did doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, showing that he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, 
Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning, in, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. <clears throat> So I'm going to approach this a little bit differently. For those of you who are regulars, this may seem a little different. If you're visiting with us today, it still may seem a little different. Um, But typically, we we don't do this. What I'd like to do today is go through this verse by verse, this passage. And it's one of those stories in the Bible where, in addition to having a a big point that you can get at the end of it, it also has some really interesting stuff almost every other sentence as you go through it. And so I want to go through it like that. And we, we don't normally do it quite like that, but today we'll try that and see how it works. And you can let me know afterward. Well, let me know on Tuesday. I don't, if, it, if it's terrible, please don't tell me afterward. <laughs> so what I want to do is just go through this a little bit at a time. And if you'd like to follow along, you can read in your red Bibles. And uh, I didn't put the page number in my notes. Can you fire that slide real quick, Avila, so we can see? Um, 861. There's Bibles either under your chairs or in the seat pockets in front of you. If you'd like to read along and you don't have your own Bible, you can follow along as we go through, and I'll call out verse numbers so you can keep track of what we're doing. So let's start right at the beginning of that passage on verse 36. It says, While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The first, first thing we have to figure out is, what were they talking about? This is one of those first sentences of a passage that doesn't exactly allow you to go on without figuring out what it means. You always heard me say, if if something starts with therefore, you have to figure out what the therefore is there for. Um, But in this case, it says, while they were talking about this, now what were they talking about? On the previous story, since last week we were in John's gospel, today is Luke's gospel, so the previous story we haven't heard, but uh, it's a story of disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appeared to them, and they didn't recognize him, and he, they invited him to stay, and he opened the word to them and broke bread with them. And as soon as he broke the bread, they recognized him, uh, and he disappeared. And so then they told the other disciples about this, and they were all together, and this is what happened. And it says, when it says when they were talking about this, what they were talking about is that story of how Jesus had appeared to them and broken the bread and then disappeared. A pretty, uh, pretty crazy thing to be talking about with your friends. Um, and, and then he says, he, so he comes to them in the middle of this conversation and he says, peace be with you. And I love that he says this. We talked about this last week. He said it three times in the passage last week, peace be with you. And it's, of course, the basis for our exchange during the passing of the peace when we say to each other, peace be with you. We're putting those words of Jesus in our own mouth and, and saying them to each other, which is a, a great way to extend peace to somebody. But it's also a great way for Jesus to uh, maybe calm them <laughs> because uh, I guess that we probably need him to say that to us too if he suddenly appeared out of nowhere. And uh, our reaction would probably be about the same as what the disciples' reaction was. So you can see that in the next verse. Verse 37 says, They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. 
which uh, when I first read this, I, th- I thought was kind of a stupid thing for them to think uh, since he had just appeared to some of them and they were talking about this. But the more I got thinking about it and tried to put myself in their position, in their shoes, uh, the more I thought, you know what, I bet I, bet I would be pretty scared too. <laughs> like let's say today at lunch, Jesus just appeared. Now, we all, those of us who are Christians, believe that Jesus is alive and has risen from the dead, but I think we'd still be a little, just a little bit freaked out if he came up to us at our table at Chipotle. And <laughs> we'd probably be pretty glad that he said, Peace be with you. No, really, peace be with you. Calm down. Um, so, verse 38, he says to them, Why are you frightened? And why did doubts arise in your heart? See, Jesus knows what's going on in those hearts of theirs. He, he can tell not only that they're frightened, which I think any of us could tell in that situation, but he knows why they're frightened. The reason that they're frightened is because there was doubt present in their hearts and minds. I mean, that makes sense, right? If they, if they believed 100% totally, they would expect Jesus to appear to them, and it wouldn't be a shock. Uh, but the fact that they're shocked and afraid indicates that, that there's still some doubt going on in their Minds. And as we saw last week with the story of Thomas, Jesus is, is gentle with them and kind to them, despite the fact that they don't believe this most important event in all of human history has happened. And he even indulges their superstition a little bit. If you see in the next verse, he says, verse 39, look at my hands and my feet, see that it is I myself, touch me and see. And this is an odd thing for him to say, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, does Jesus believe in ghosts? Uh, I think probably not. Um, But he says to them, he proves to them that he's not a ghost, which is kind of this this interesting thing to me. Now, it's important to realize that the word for ghost, this is, of course, translated from Greek, and the word that is translated as ghost is the same word that's translated in other places as spirit. So if you read the old King James Bible and, and you talk about the Holy Spirit, our translations say the Holy Spirit. That Bible says Holy Ghost, and it's the same, same word translated two different ways. And so what I think is not actually, it's not actually like a Jacob Marley situation here with the ghosts. Um, I think it's probably more that the, the, the disciples thought that they were seeing the spirit of Jesus appearing before them. Not an actual risen human being, not an actual body, but a spirit. And that actually would have been consistent with the, the cultural slash religious thought of the day in that part of the world. It would have been very common for people to believe that there's a spirit world and a material world, and they are separate. And the, the material world is base, and that's where all our evil comes from, and the spirit world is is heavenly, and that's where all goodness comes from. And these two things, are, they, they don't inhabit the same place at the same time. But that's, that's actually a Greek philosoph- philosophical perspective. It's not a Hebrew one. It's not a Christian one. And so Jesus is saying to them, no, you may think that I'm like this spirit, but I'm actually me. It's actually the body and soul and whole person that you just knew not long ago and saw crucified This body and this person is alive again. It's really me. The miracle actually happened. And to prove it even further, in verse 40, he he says this. He showed them his hands and his feet. And and those of you who were here last week or who know the story of 
so-called Doubting Thomas know that this is similar to what happened in that story where Jesus is uh, inviting them to see the parts of his body that were, that were pierced during the crucifixion. And he's showing them again in a different way that this is, this is the actual body that was nailed to the cross. You can see the holes right here. And not just a ghost, not just an apparition, not just a spirit. And then we come to probably my favorite verse in this whole passage, verse 41. Um, it says, while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? I just love that verse. In their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. Have you ever had a moment like that where you, you had so many emotions and things and thoughts in your head that they, all, they sometimes seem to contradict each other? They're so joyful at the appearance of the risen Christ. But in the midst of that joy, they continue to disbelieve and wonder. What a perfect picture of new faith, especially new faith, sometimes old faith, but especially new faith, is joy, but it's combined with disbelief and wonder and these, these different things pulling in different directions. And it seems like it's an apparent contrast, but for, for most of us in the room who have walked any distance in our, in our Christian faith, we know that this is sometimes the reality that we walk in, isn't it? Our songs call that out too. Um, one moment we're singing joyfully and one moment we're confessing our unbelief. One moment we're celebrating new life in Christ and the next moment we're, we're confessing our sin and our failure and our need for God. So while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And so the next two verses, they, they give him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Uh, nothing special happening here except that once again, he's demonstrating to them that he's a real person. Um, these detached spirits don't, wouldn't have a need to eat, wouldn't be hungry, wouldn't be able to digest the food anyway. But no, this is a real person before them saying, have you got something to eat? In case you are still disbelieving, I will prove it to you. Give me a piece of your fish fry. <laughs> and now, in these last four verses is where things start to really get down to business. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, let me pause there for a minute and talk about those, those three things that Jesus says were written. In the law of Moses, first. In the prophets, second. And in the Psalms. Um, scholars of the Hebrew Bible, now and then, would have divided the text, the Hebrew Bible, into three sections. Uh, typically, typically called the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. Now, the Law was the five books of Moses. The first five books of the Bible make up what we call the Law. The fancy word for that um, that you don't actually care about is Pentateuch. Um, but the Law is those first five books of Moses. 
And the prophets would include um, not only the people we think of as the prophets, the people who were out in the wilderness proclaiming, the, you know, the, calling people to repentance and making predictions about how the world would come to an end and so forth. Um, not only those prophets, but also the historical books usually are included among the prophets. And then finally, you have the writings. Um, now, Jesus says the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And the reason that he says Psalms is because the writings included the Psalms. That's most, the Psalter, the book of Psalms, is the most important part of the writings. It's all the poetic books of the Bible. Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs and, and a couple of other books too. But the point of it all, why I tell you that, is that what Jesus is intimating here, what he's suggesting is that the entire Hebrew Scriptures, everything that their, that their whole faith as Jewish people was based on, all of it points to him. That's a pretty remarkable thing for him to say. Everything written about me, now where was it written? In the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and in the Psalms or the Writings. All of it was about me. And it must be fulfilled. So he starts broad. And then he, in the next two verses, he gets more specific. 45 and 46. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Now, we're going to stop in the middle of that sentence and I'll tell you where that comes from. Because what he's done is after saying law, prophets, and writings, he has gone on to, to hint at just one little bit of one of those sections. And it's from the prophet Hosea. And if you were to look up Hosea in the Old Testament, chapter 6, the first two verses say this. Come, let us return to the Lord, for it is he who is torn, and he will heal us. He has struck down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. So not only is Jesus suggesting that the whole Hebrew Bible points to him, but he's, he's suggesting that this one little prophecy in the book of Hosea specifically points to the resurrection. And then he goes on to say what has to happen next. And the rubber begins to hit the road for those of us who are observers of this scenario, both the original disciples and present day disciples. So he says, uh, the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And then verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's a pretty dense verse. But he's saying that starting in Jerusalem, this holy city, this central place of worship for the Jewish people, Starting there, but not stopping there, this is going to go to all nations. And remember, when people in the Bible uh, speak of the nations, what they're talking about is, is Gentiles, people who are not believers. And so he's saying this is going to extend way beyond your, your little religious club. Um, this is going to go way beyond just what you think is the, the small group of people whom God has blessed and called. And what is it that's going to go out and be preached, it's repentance and forgiveness of sins. And I love that those two things are paired together. 
Forgiveness of sins is a pretty obvious thing. Even if you're not a churchy person and didn't grow up speaking the language of religion, you can imagine that forgiveness of sins is a pretty great thing. That, that whatever wrong you have ever done, whatever offense you have ever made against God or others can be wiped clean. But it's not just forgiveness, it's also repentance. And that's a, that is a fancy church term. Um, the word literally just means changing your mind. So in the Bible, when it says that God repented sometimes, it means God changed his mind. And I'm not sure which is more troubling uh, for traditional theologians, but either way, um, there's, a, there's a challenge there. But for people of faith, repentance is an incredibly important part. It's part and parcel with, it's, it's hand in glove with forgiveness of sins. Now, what I have observed is, is that in Christendom, in certain churches and in certain pockets of theological preference, if you will, there's a strong emphasis on one or the other of these things. Some people are in, in the, hey, forgiveness for all. Um, doesn't matter what you've ever done or what you do or what you believe or don't believe, just forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And that's a wonderful picture. I believe that forgiveness is available to all people. But in some other church cultures, you hear repentance, repentance, repentance. Now, I grew up in one of these church cultures where every time you did a new sin, you had to come to the altar and pray and ask God to save your soul yet again. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, uh, but that's certainly the impression I got. And I can't tell you how many times, I wasn't a go-to-the-altar kind of person, I was pretty shy, but I can't tell you how many times late at night as I was falling asleep in bed, I, I re-prayed that prayer of faith saying, oops, I sinned again, I guess I need to repent again. And so you get these two competing ideas and what happens is that usually, unfortunately, one of them is emphasized and the other one is de-emphasized, or the other way around. But they're both right here. They're both listed side by side in the, these in these most important words of Jesus about this whole thing, saying that repentance and the forgiveness of sins is to be what? It's to be proclaimed in his name, the name of the Messiah. And Jesus is saying in my name, not mine, but, you know, if I, I'm not going to say if I were Jesus, but um, you know what I mean. If Jesus were sitting here saying in my name. Um, so which comes first? Is it repentance or forgiveness? Which one is required before the other one can be realized? Uh, yes. <laughs> so after that remarkably dense statement, we have, the, we have the last verse for today's assigned reading. Now, this reading comes from the, uh, the lectionary, which is just a collection of scriptural texts that the church looks at. And the last verse in the lectionary today for this gospel passage says... Jesus concludes this little portion by saying, you are witnesses of these things. And what does this mean? Well, we have a common understanding of what the word witness means, right? What is the, the context in which that word is usually used nowadays? You can say it back to me. In a courtroom, right? You're, you present a witness who has witnessed a crime, or who has witnessed somebody in a different place when the crime took place, a witness to an alibi. It simply means that you've seen something, right? And that you offer proof of it. But there's kind of a, uh, speaking of Christian language, 
there's kind of a churchy meaning of the word witness also, isn't there? Um, if you grew up in the church as I did, especially in the type of church that I grew up in, you, witness was, was not, not a noun so much as a verb. Isn't that interesting? Um, how the noun about a person who has seen something becomes a verb into something that somebody's doing. You are witnessing to somebody. And how do you witness to somebody? Well, you have this little booklet that has a cartoon in it uh, with lots of scary pictures and, you know, it talks about how rock and roll is going to be your un- the undoing of your eternal soul. And you share this news with them, this good news that rock and roll is going to send them straight down when they die. And that's witnessing. Well, no, <laughs> that's not witnessing. I would like us to get back to that noun form of the word for a minute. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. You have seen it. You have observed this. You know the proof, the evidence. See, if a witness to a crime sees it but never says anything about it, he or she will be of no benefit to helping the crime be solved. And if these particular witnesses of the resurrection in this story, today's story, don't tell anybody about it, then the story is going to fizzle and fade. I mean, even something as remarkable as that needs to be carried to people, particularly when you're talking about it in the way Jesus is talking about it, which is it's extending this open invitation to be part of God's family beyond just the religious insiders of the Jewish faith and to the whole nation, all the nations of the whole world. So the whole thing is dependent on the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. And so as we conclude today, I think there are two questions that we ought to ask ourselves after reading this story. And I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to ask you to shout out an answer, but I am going to ask you to ponder it in your mind and answer it honestly for yourself. The first question is this. In what sense are we witnesses to the resurrection? Certainly not in the same sense that the original disciples were witnesses to it. Um, I don't want to be flippant about this, but I think it's safe to say that, that none of us has actually seen the bodily presence of Jesus before our very eyes, the way that these early disciples did. But are we witnesses to the truth of that resurrection and the truth of Christ's love and and witnesses to repentance and forgiveness of sins among us? I think we are. But the, the way that's worked out for each of us is likely to be different. So in what sense are you a witness to the resurrection? Now, again, I'm not talking at this point about going and proclaiming. I'm just talking about what sense have you seen this to be true? So answer that question in your, in your mind for yourself. And the second question is a little bit more pointed. I hope you'll forgive me. Second question is this. What are we doing? Now, when I say we, I don't mean us as a church. We as a church raised a lot of money for this, this uh, local hunger initiative. But now, when I say we, I mean you and me. You and you and you and you and you and me. What is each one of us doing to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus? For some of us, the honest answer is 
Not much. And we have this caricature of what this looks like. It's not just the little gospel tracts with the cartoon devils. It's the guy with the megaphone outside the baseball stadium shouting at people. It's the people, you know, waving big fat Bibles at at certain parades as they go by. It's the four spiritual laws or a bridge illustration or whatever kind of semi-clever distillation of the gospel you were taught in youth group. But the thing is, I would suggest to you that, that you should almost wipe those things from your mind. And the reason is this, because those are what we call a straw man. You know what a straw man is? When you're arguing with somebody and you, you set up this, this caricature of their argument, which isn't actually true to what they're saying, but it happens to be really easy to refute it, to knock it down, that's a straw man. And I think those guys, they're actual people with megaphones outside the, the, the baseball stadium. But when it comes to our duty to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to people in Jesus' name, I think those guys can become a straw man because we say to ourselves, well, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get a megaphone, honestly. And then we're off the hook, aren't we? Except we're, we're not actually off the hook. Because <laughs> Jesus didn't say anything about megaphones, but he did say something about being witnesses to the resurrection. And as a consequence of being witnesses to, to Christ alive in us, to proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins to all people. So maybe I could say, what are you doing? What am I doing? What is each one of us doing? to proclaim that repentance and forgiveness, to bring the name of Jesus into the conversation on any level with anybody we know. And I think for some of us, the answer is still not much. And some of us may be actually saying, well, I'm, I'm kind of new to this faith, or I don't have a very strong faith, or I don't speak very well. Or, or, or. There's any number of excuses. But let me ask you the question. How ready do you think the disciples in that story were to carry that burden, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Did they seem to be super well prepared for that moment? I mean, ten minutes ago, they were doubting the resurrection even happened. Five minutes ago, they thought Jesus was a ghost. And now all of a sudden, they're being drawn into this great grand story, this story that Jesus says reaches back all the way to the depths of the Hebrew religion, all the way back into the Hebrew Bible, and that he's saying is going to extend well beyond Judaism, well beyond this central enclave of spirituality, the city of Jerusalem, to all the nations of the world. So they've gone from being disbelieving um, ghost hunters to the first people charged with the duty of, of telling everybody about Jesus in a matter of minutes. And so I'm sorry if you don't feel ready to do it. I don't either. And they didn't either. But that is what Jesus says is going to happen next. <laughs> That's the next part of the story after you, after you, after you see him eat the fish, <laughs> is you proclaim that to people. Now, it, it looks all sorts of different ways for different people. 
Let me give you one more reassuring word before we go away from this text for a little while. I said a minute ago that the last verse of this passage was when Jesus says, you are witnesses to these things. It's not actually true. That's the last verse of the assigned passage from the lectionary. There's one more verse. Verse 49, he says, And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We're basically out of time. I don't have time to go way into this. But what he is promising them is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's a story that happens in the book of Acts, which is the next book that Luke wrote. Tells the story of the formation of the early Christian church. And early on in that story, the the disciples, being obedient to Jesus, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit descended on them like fire. And they were given gifts and abilities to share this news with people. And so if you feel like you're not ready, well, in some sense, you're never ready. But also... I want to reassure you that if if you have faith in Jesus, you have received that Holy Spirit. You have gifts. Now, we don't all have the same ones. You know, Doug is is our spiritual gifts teacher. He's our expert in that. But we don't all have the same gifts, but we all do have gifts received in the power of the Holy Spirit that empower us to go and obey Jesus' command to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to whomever he brings before us. And so you, you aren't ready, but you are ready. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the miracle of your resurrection, for the calling that you've placed on our lives, for the beautiful fact that the family of God is open to all people, to anyone who would receive that repentance and forgiveness of sins in your name. We pray, O Lord, that you would give us courage as witnesses to your life in us and among us, that we would be bold to proclaim it to other people in whatever setting and context that might be for us. Help us to be not only aware of people who need to hear about you, but brave enough to be the people who bring you into the conversation, who begin that process or further that process of helping others to know who you are. give you thanks for all these things. Amen. Well, another reassurance that I can offer you is found at the table of Jesus. Now, just a few days before the events that you read, Jesus had instituted this special meal with his disciples. Um, And we celebrate it every week when we come together. It's the natural response for us to hearing the word of the Lord read and proclaimed and talked about. And we receive the bread and the wine in the sacrament of Holy Communion as food for our souls, as strength for our spirits. We do it as an act of unity with each other and with other Christians around the city and around the world and throughout time. It's a pretty amazing thing to say, but it's true. And we do it to remember Christ's sacrifice. 
And so uh, if you're here today with us and you are a follower of Jesus, um, again, regardless of whether you think you're doing a great job at it or not, um, the grace that is offered here covers you doing a bad job at being a follower of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you to come and respond. And, and the way we do this here is uh, called intinction. It just simply means we take off a piece of the bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice and receive it that way. And you can find your seat again. If you're not in that group, if you would not say that you're a follower of Jesus, we love having you here today. And you certainly are welcome to sit and pray and think. Um, you, we don't want you to feel obligated to participate in something that would not be meaningful or real to you. We're going to continue to worship God in song. We have a couple more songs to sing together. And while the, the band is playing and we're worshiping that way, our table is open for the rest of our service. And I invite you to come to it and respond to God's leading, uh, however he might be affecting it in your life. And uh, our, if you have children who are in the classroom, uh, they, should be bringing, they should be coming down fairly soon and you can, come, you can go and get them in the foyer. They are welcome to participate in this as well if you'd like them to. Uh, but respond as you hear God's voice in your heart.